following audio is from Covenant Life Fellowship. For more information about our church and to stay up to date on all sermons, events, and news, please visit our website at www.clfroseburg.com. All right, let's open our Bibles. We're going to go to the book of Hebrews this morning. Hebrews chapter 10. Where we're going to be this morning. Over the course of January, we have been looking at a series called Children of God, and our desire in the series has been to remind us of the amazing grace of God toward us, to marvel at the power of God at work in us, and, and to stir in us an understanding of the joy of what it means to follow Jesus, to really see ourselves as being truly human when we've been saved, when we've been redeemed by Christ. And today we're going to look at another aspect of being a child of God as we talk about the church, the people for whom Christ died. And and here's what we're doing this, just so we can can see why. Number one, we're doing this not because there's a problem in our church. Okay, so anytime we talk about church, people begin to wonder, is there a problem in the church? And the answer is no, there's no problem in our church. Matter of fact, there's no problem in church attendance. Uh, we've had to go to two services because church attendance is so much. We've actually grown through a pandemic, not shrunk. And by God's grace and kindness, he has brought many of you to us over the last year. And we're incredibly grateful for that. And many of those who, of you who have been with us have consistently been with us. So this isn't a problem. However, I do see a problem coming down the road. And here's what it is. Over 2020, we have had lockdowns and restrictions and things that have made the gathering of the saints seem to be something that's really, really important to us. And we've missed it. But my concern is, as the lockdowns and restrictions begin to loosen, we begin to take for granted what we do here on a Sunday morning or how we gather together as the people of God. And suddenly, without knowing it, it's become just another thing that we do during the week. And I want to caution us from that. And there's a reason for this, because... As you see in your notes and as you'll see on the screen, the idea that I want to get to you this morning is because we're children of God, we will value the family gathering. Because we're children of God, we'll value the family gathering. It's that simple. And, 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 and the reason we've got to talk about this is not just because of the caution that's coming, but let's be honest. I mean, going to church and being committed to a church has really fallen on hard times in our culture. Some of it is just because some churches have hurt people by playing politics through control and manipulation. Some have mishandled sin in their midst and been abusive and and authoritarian. Some have left behind the inspired word of God for methods that are more attractional. And some of the hard times in the church is due to some misunderstandings or misapplication of the church and what the church is really about. You know, I grew up in the South, and things in the South look radically different culturally than they do here about church. We, we were to be in church every time the door opened. We put on our Sunday best. I do own a suit for those of you that wondered. I have several ties at my disposal uh, because of my time in the South, because we always wore our Sunday best and we would spend ridiculous amounts of money on nice ties. But yeah, when I moved to the independent Northwest, I found something very fascinating. I found that wasn't the attitude toward church. In the independent Northwest, people like isolation. They like to be left alone. They would rather have people not get into their business, thank you very much. And part of that is due to the weather that we have this time of the year. I mean, we get to see the sun three minutes for every three weeks during this time of the year. Uh, The sun goes down at 3.30 in the afternoon, and it doesn't arise till 9.30 in the morning. 
It feels like everything is dark. We want to get into our homes, lock ourselves down, get next to that warm fire, and hang out with our family, right? That's kind of what we do. The challenge with that is it doesn't afford for true community life. And it doesn't do benefit to our souls for what God has in purpose for the church. And it's really important that we look at this and understand why. So again, the big idea this morning, because we're children of God, we'll value the family gathering. And we're going to look at it from a very famous text of scripture about this issue in Hebrews chapter 10. So stand with me and let's read Hebrews 10, 19 through 25. If you're new with us, welcome. We're glad you're here. We stand here because we believe this is God's word. It is inspired and we want to honor God as we read it. So I'll read it. You can follow along. It'll come up on the screen if you don't have your Bible. Hebrews 10, verse 19. This is the reading of God's word. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his veil, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. With our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. So let's pray together. Father, we we thank you this morning for this word, and we thank you for this church, and we thank you for the priority that our people have put on gathering together. But Father, would you, through our time this morning, would you make it even more of a priority than it currently is? And would you stir in us in appreciation for what you do in our souls as we gather as family members? And Father, as always, would you elevate Jesus? And Jesus, shepherd your people. They're yours. You love them. And I pray you'd stir them and encourage them today. And pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now again, what I want to focus on this morning is is the impact of the family gathering. Uh, We could talk about the, the mission of the church, but that's found in Matthew 28. You can look that up sometime yourself in the Great Commission. We can talk about the methodology of the church, but that's found throughout Scripture, and that's debatable. I want to talk about this morning what we find in this text about why the family gatherings of the church are important to our soul. And I want to see it as an outflow of the gospel. Now, if you're with us, you've been with us for very long, you know the gospel matters to us deeply, and we want to see if the, the link chains or the gospel connecting everything we do as a Christian in our life. And that's what I want to see this morning. So let's look at that first point by seeing the gospel in this text. And you're going to see this in verses 19 through 21. The book of Hebrews was written for a reason. It was written because it was proving that Jesus Christ is superior to everything the Old Testament and Old Covenant religion of the Jews had to offer. It was written to reveal Jesus is a superior messenger. He's a superior savior, and he oversees a superior covenant. And he did this because The people of the first century, the Christian people, were really discouraged. And many of them were considering leaving their belief in Jesus back to their old Jewish religion because of social pressure and persecution. So when you read verse 19, and you read the word, but you read the very first word, therefore, 
you know what he's getting at. He's writing, because Jesus is superior to everything else, because he's superior to everything of the old religion, because Jesus is the only one to make us right with God and eternally forgive us of our sins, it's going to prove something to us. And in verses 19 through 21, he shows us the two things that it proves. The first thing you'll notice in the text, it proves that we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, who opened up an access or living way to God. Meaning, because of Jesus, we have confidence, we have assurance, we have hope. We, we don't have to enter into the holy places of God cowering or in condemnation or in fear of trembling that God may reject us. Rather, because our sins are forgiven, we know that God receives us by the blood of Jesus. We are God's children with access to God always. And this access to God, this entrance to God into the presence of God is new because it didn't exist before Jesus showed up. When Jesus showed up, Jesus opened the gateway to God eternally by living in our place and dying in our, the earth. And, and it's living because it's presently active. Meaning every moment of your life, every day of your life, there is no end to your access to God the Father because of the blood of Jesus Christ. We always have access to God because of Jesus. And we can have confidence that we can go there. That's one thing that this superiority of Jesus proves. But the second thing it proves is later in the verse when he says it proves that Jesus is our great high priest. Now this is significant because one of the major issues in the book of Hebrews is Jesus being the greater high priest than all the other high priests to come. The old high priest, once a year, and it wasn't there, it was offering for their own sin. But Jesus, Jesus enters one time for all by his own blood, revealing he is not just a better high priest, he's a better sacrifice. The high priest of the Bible mediated between God and man. But Jesus, the eternal, the eternal priest for us, is our great and superior high priest. He offered his own life as, his own, as our access to God by his blood forever. It's, it's forever done. And because Jesus is the high priest of a better covenant, he gives us better promises. We have eternal forgiveness of sins. We have continual and eternal access to God of which the old covenant could never offer us. Now, before we go on, I just want you to see the gospel. We see the gospel. We cannot miss the gospel. We cannot miss just running through these verses because everything else we will talk about is off the gospel. Everything else is an application of the gospel and everything else is empowered by the gospel. So make sure you notice the gospel. Notice, confidence to come by the blood of Jesus. Not by your work, not by your sacrifice, but by the blood of Jesus. Make sure you notice a new and a living way opened up to you by the flesh or the body of Jesus. Not by your flesh, not by your hard work, but by his. And this is so important because without the gospel, we don't have confidence to enter God's presence. Without the gospel, you should enter in with fear. Without the gospel, you will stand before God without your mediator standing before God, interceding on your behalf. Without the gospel, there is no forgiveness of sin. Without the gospel, God. So listen, you, you need to 
analyze first where you are with the gospel. See, if you don't have confidence to go to God, you should ask, how real is the gospel to your soul? Are you resting in and believing in and and agreeing with, with all your might, that Jesus only is the one who paved that way? Maybe you're not a Christian and you know today you've got to trust in Christ. Maybe you are a Christian and you realize, I've got to trust in Christ. I've got to lean in more to realize that my, the only way the access to God is open, the only way that this route to God is made in the blood of Jesus. And that's the only way you can have access to God with confidence, not condemnation. So don't miss the gospel. Now then, because of the gospel, let's look at the applications of the gospel. And you're going to see this really clearly in the text. I mean, since the gospel's true, now what? Right? What, what does that mean to us? Yes, we have access to God, but what, now what? We're going to notice it in three statements that all begin with the word, the phrase, let us. Meaning, the gospel's true, therefore, let us go do this. And there's three things you're going to notice. We're going to hit them real quickly because we want to, we want to end most of our time at the end draw near with a true heart, a full assurance of faith. Or another way to say this is, let us draw near to God with confidence that God receives us. See, the application of the gospel is this. There are no more barriers between you and God because of Jesus. God is not stiff-arming you anymore. God is not rejecting you. God is not holding you at arm's length. The doorway to God is not closed. God is not angry with you. Rather, the scripture says he is good. He is merciful. He is loving. He is patient. He is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love toward you. And the revelation of that is Jesus Christ coming for you. So the writer tells us, draw near to God. We can go to God. Let us, therefore, because Jesus has done this, let us draw near near to God. And we can do so with a full assurance of faith. Why? Because we know our hearts are clean. Our consciences are clean. And God accepts us because of the blood of Christ. Now, this is really important because what keeps us from God? Well, guilt, shame, feeling dirty. Yet the writer tells us because we can enter the presence of God by the blood of Jesus, and this is our great high priest, we can have confidence. We can have assurance that we are clean and forgiven by God, and we have access to God. Milton Vincent, in one of my favorite devotional books, The Gospel Primer, put it like this. The gospel reminds me that my righteous standing with God always holds firm regardless of my performance. Aren't you glad about that? Because my standing is based solely on the work of Jesus and not mine. On my worst days of sin and failure, the gospel encourages me with God's unrelenting grace toward me. On my best days of victory and usefulness, the gospel reminds me, relates me relating to God solely on the basis of Jesus' righteousness and not mine. See, we can draw near to God with confidence because Jesus has opened the way for us. But the second application is found in verse 23. It's strongly connected to the first application. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promises faithful. 
Notice the connection to our relationship with God and our understanding of God's faithfulness. We can hold tight to the fact that Jesus is superior to all others because God, who promised that truth, is faithful. Because he who promises faithful, and Jesus has opened a brand new and living way and access to God, by the pres- to the presence of God by, by his blood, and because Jesus is our faithful high priest, we can hold fast, we can cling to, we cannot lose sight of this truth. Jesus is superior to all others. Why? We know that's true because God, who promised, is faithful. It's really good news. It's incredibly good news. Because you live in a world where there's never good news. It's easy to lose hope. It's easy to back away from our confession that Jesus is the Savior we all need. But because God is faithful, Jesus has opened the gateway for us, we can hold fast to this truth without wobbly knees or fainting hearts. Our God, our God is faithful. But then there's a last application, and it's the famous one in the text. Verses 24 and 25. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Or to put it another way, let us draw near to one another. Throughout the book of Hebrews, you're going to find this is a book where the writer is writing to a community of people. This is not an individualistic letter meant for private, personal faith. It was to be lived out and believed as a community. And these first century Christians were being terribly tormented and persecuted for their faith. We know from history that many lost their livelihoods. And we know that many lost their lives for the sake of the gospel. So you would think the writer knowing all of that, you think the writer would say to them, hey, listen, draw near to God, that's really good. Hang on to the hope that you have and, and do this. Protect yourselves at home. Or to put it in our language, and ammunition up. You think that's what he would say. Don't associate with others who claim Christ so that nobody will know and your faith will be secret. You can hide. Nobody will know and you'll be safe. But that's not what he does. Is it? Rather, he tells us to not only draw near to God, he tells us to draw near to one another. To not neglect something that became a habit for others. Because there were some, because of persecution, who decided it wasn't worth it to go fellowship with Christian friends. What if they were found out? It wasn't worth it to be in a small group gathering on a Sunday morning in a small house and doing that secretly, potentially identify with the name of Christ and the people of God. So it became a habit to not associate with fellow Christians, as he tells us. Fear of being shamed or persecuted. Anxiety over what the world thought or public punishment made it easy for them to stay away from the gathering of the family of God. What a, what a great caution for us and a great reminder. Because the gospel is true, because God is faithful, let us not neglect together as is the habit of some. 
What a great reminder for us. Now, with that backdrop, I want to finish with looking at these interwoven effects. And you might go, this seems short. Well, just wait, okay? We're going to settle down, all right? Okay? Don't get ahead of yourselves, right? <clears throat> because what I want you to notice in the passage is how interwoven this stuff is for our souls. I want you to see this. We've got to see this. It's important why. Not because we have a problem here with church attendance. We don't. Not because people are neglecting to meet together. No. It's because in my last year proved something to us. We love getting together the people of God. We missed it. Something's going to happen. I'll tell you what it's going to be. Things are going to start opening, and we're going to start taking the gathering for granted. It's easy to do. So the caution is, as children of God, let's not go there. That's what this is about. Everybody clear with that? Okay. So everybody knows what's happening in the church. Nothing, right? We're doing great. This is just all reminders for us as children of God how we should see this. Notice the interwoven effects of this. Notice with me something interesting in the text. Notice the bookends. It'll come up on the screen for you. I want to point it out. The bookends of draw near to God and draw near to one another. So you've got two brackets. And you have a statement about holding fast to our confession or our hope. Now, what we have a tendency to do is we separate all those. And I personally, when I'm reading the text, I don't see a separation. I see a bracket. That's how I look at things scripturally. I see a bracket that holds something together. Here's what I want you to notice. This seems to be intentional. It's like the writer saying to us, draw near to God and drawing near to one another helps you not lose your grasp on the confession of faith. It doesn't seem like one or the other. And listen, I can tell you, I heard, I've heard, and I'll give statements other place I've ever been, statements like this, I can draw near to God, but not draw near to others. I can do it on my own, thank you very much. Or vice versa, I can draw near to others without drawing near to God. But what the writer does, he does something fascinating. He brackets this, he bookends it. To basically say, listen, I'm gonna bookend drawing near to God, drawing near to one another, so that you will not lose Hope, you will, not, you will not waver in this. It's like these two brackets holding this together. And I think we can all feel this in our spiritual lives, if we're, if we're honest. We take time away from drawing near to God, and we feel a little lost and confused and discouraged and frustrated and weary in our faith. Time to draw away from church or family gatherings. We come back and we suddenly feel like an outsider. I, this happens to me. I mean, I'm going to be gone in a couple of weeks, and I already know what's going to happen. I'm going to get back the following week, and I'm going to walk in and go, hi, my name's Dave. I'm the pastor here. You know, it feels weird, right? It just, it just feels that way. You feel like an outsider. You feel like you're alone a little bit. But the combo of these two things, drawing near to God, drawing near to one another, is a tool that God gives us to help us create stability of hope and stability of help. I think we all saw this in COVID. 2020, last year, we all saw it. Listen, waiting to do church at home for one week. I can tell you, it was depressing and it was incredibly isolating and lonely. And if you, if you think it was lonely at your house, you should have showed up here on a Sunday with a video camera sitting right there and just me and Perry and Dave early and the sound guys early 
and try to do church looking into a camera, envisioning people out there somewhere. It's lonely. It's isolating. It's depressing. You kind of walked away going, man, I, I wonder where that landed. Right? And we all felt that during COVID. It, it was fine. Well, short, but listen, that's not, that's not what the Scripture tells us to do. It's not, and it's not just because we're made for community. It's because God set up family gatherings to be a tool or a weapon of God's grace to help you not lose hope in this world. They're that important to our souls. Drawing near to God and drawing near to one another helps us have a stable hope in a very unstable world. The second thing you're going to notice is notice with me the close connection with drawing near to God and drawing near to one another. Now, it's close in the text, but they're also going to have a close proximity in our soul. We're to see them coming together. I've heard people say, I can ju- I'll just love God, but I cannot love people. It's way too painful. I've been vulnerable in the past. They've hurt me. <clears throat> and so I cannot love them. And my reply is, well, the great commandment seems to command something else of you. You, you cannot love God and not love people. An application of loving God seems to be, and we're going to get into this later in 1 Corinthians 13 in our study of 1 Corinthians, seems to be the outflow of love. The very, very, the very first fruit of the Spirit is what? Love. And it's not just love for God, it's love for other people. Further, I've heard people say, well, my relationship with God is personal and it's private. I don't need to be in church or in a community with other people because I don't need that. My response to that is, your relationship with God is personal but it's never intended to be private. Matter of fact, when you read the scripture, God's purposes for his church are corporate and they're community-minded. In either scenario, according to scripture, if we neglect the family gathering, we're neglecting one of God's commands to us. We just are. And we're living in disobedience to God. So what I tell people a lot of times is I go, well, okay, if you're going to draw near to God, which is you say you need to do, then do me a favor. A lot of your time repenting of being disobedient to not drawing near to others. Because that's what needs to happen. Because you cannot have one or the other. Nowhere in Scripture, let me just add this, nowhere in Scripture is attendance or church membership a requirement to be a child of God. Nowhere. We've got to be really clear about that. So don't get weird or mixed up on this. That is based solely on your trust and your belief and your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior. But let me just add a caution. A major weapon, a major tool that God has given us as the people of God is the family gatherings. It is a major, the family gatherings in the church are opportunities for us to grow in drawing near to God. That's why I say many times, and I say this to young preachers a lot, if You are not leaving your people with Jesus for them to worship Jesus at the end of your time. You have not preached the gospel. Because what is a church gathering about? We're pointing to one Savior, one King. And it's to all be about this opportunity for us to gather together and say, what a great King we have. Isn't he great? What a weapon. What an opportunity to declare to the universe the power of God in our lives. 
right? It's a unique opportunity. It's to be a foundational strengthening of the hope that is within you. I mean, each week, listen, friends, as we gather, we talk about our Father. We talk about His Son, who's our brother, our King, our Savior. We talk about our homeland and how we're to represent our homeland. There is a close proximity in our souls of drawing near to God and drawing near to one another. And we can't miss that. Notice verse 26 with me for another interwoven connection. We didn't read this one, but I want to point it out to you. Verse 26 reads like this, For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin. And what the writer is targeting here is primarily a group of people that said, sin however we want and still believe in Jesus, it'll be fine for us in the end. And the writer's saying, actually not. You can't do that. But I want you to notice something that's fascinating. Notice how closely connected this is to drawing near to God and drawing near to one another. Matter of fact, we all, do, we all know our numbers very well. 26 comes after 25. It's all in line here. And he's thinking of one main thought. We could say it this way. Drawing near to God, drawing near to one another is a way that God uses in our lives to keep us from sinning deliberately. It's a way that God speaks to us. Another way to say this is imaging one another in the gospel, in the work of Christ, and how to overcome sin. I mean, you... You know this to be true when you read your Bible. Look back at Genesis chapter 3, and you'll notice something happens when Adam and Eve sin. What's the first thing they do? They hide. They cover up. They isolate themselves from God. I don't know about you, what's the first thing you do when you sin? You want to hide. You want to make it up. You certainly don't want to hang out with anybody who might know your sin. And isolation is always a tool of the adversary. Coming together is always a tool of God. We do the same thing. The interwoven effect in his people helps us in overcoming sin. And then finally, I want you to notice this unique dynamic of what's to happen when we gather together. The writer tells us we are to consider how to stir up one another to love and good deeds, and we're to encourage one another as we see the day drawing near. There is an undeniable importance of encouragement and motivation to our spiritual souls, to one another, especially in times of hardship and trial. Undeniable. And the remedy for the hopelessness and despair that helps us is found in drawing near to God as we draw near to one another. Now, there's two thoughts on this. One is exhortation. You know, we exhort one another to love Christ, overcome sin, stay away from certain things. But then we also spend a lot of time encouraging each other, building each other up as we see the day of Christ drawing near, as we see the challenges of our world to encourage a hold fast to the hope that he is our king and he is indeed at work. Much like yesterday, all the guys gathered together, Dan led off with a three and a half minute just display of the, what 2020 was about. You can feel the room like, ugh. As you talk about living in legacy, talk about how God, at the end of it, we just talked about what God, we're going to see God at work. Now listen, if you weren't there, you didn't get that. It's just nature of the beast. This is why we, we must see the importance of these gatherings. We are to exhort and encourage one another. And friends, I just want to 
say this, this is, we have to be very careful here because we have so many cultural messages right now. And one of them that's being spoken to you is stay home and save lives. That is a message that might be a good tool of keeping people from getting a virus, listen clearly, over the short term. But over the long haul, it's not a healthy It's just not. And we must be careful that the habits of 2020 of staying home and thinking that we can get all we need from podcasts or watching church online doesn't become habitual. Doesn't become the way we do life. It might be convenient for a moment, but it's not a complete way to grow spiritually. Now, I want you to hear me very clearly on this. There are times for a pause. There's times you might take a little bit of a trip away. My wife and I are going to get away here in a couple of weekends. I will not be at church that Sunday. I'm not sinning against God to be with my wife away on a weekend. There are times that we have to take a pause, much like we saw last year at the beginning of the virus. Times ago, we pause and see what is really happening in our world, just like we saw. But it is not to become a habit because it's unhealthy for your soul. It's unhealthy for all of our souls. It's dangerous for us to stay away. Now, one of the most famous pastors in the 20th century was a guy named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Bonhoeffer was pastor during Nazi Germany, and they imprisoned him in 1943, and he was later executed for his resistance against the Nazi regime. His writings on the Christian life are some of the most profound writings you'll ever find about how to live in trial and difficulty and challenge. And, And Dave knew I was preaching on this, and Dave had been reading Bonhoeffer, and he said, hey, See, quotes last night, and I said, oh, my word, these will fit perfectly at the end. Um, So I want to read this. I took out a bunch of my other stuff to add this because this is really important. Here's what he wrote about the church. Between the death of Christ and the last day, it is only by God, by, by a gracious anticipation of the last things, that Christians are privileged to live in visible fellowship with other Christians. It is by the grace of God that a congregation is permitted to gather visibly in this world to share God's word and sacrament. But if there is so much blessing and joy, even in a single encounter of brother with brother, how inexhaustible are the riches that open up for those who, by God's will, are privileged to live in the daily fellowship of life with other Christians. Of course, that that what is an unspeakable gift of God for the lonely individual is easily disregarded and trodden underfoot by those who have the gift every day. It is easily forgotten that the fellowship of Christian brethren is a gift of grace, a a gift of the kingdom of God that any day may be taken from us. That the time that it still separates us from utter loneliness may be brief indeed. It is grace, nothing but grace, that we are allowed to live in community with Christian brethren. Now what I want you to see through all of this is if we believe in the gospel of Christ, If we are children of God, gathering is is going to be a priority. It's going to be on our calendars. It's not going to be, you know, one week we miss here, we miss here, we miss here, miss here, and it becomes a habit to us. It's going to be a priority to us. And I hope you see this. Because the gospel is true, this will be true. And I want to say this again. For the most part, listen, that's not a challenge we have here. Our, Our people gather together. Our hearts are rejoicing together. 2020 drew us together. But again, let me just caution you. As things open... We cannot cannot take it for granted. The family gathering is a little glimpse of heaven. You're aware of that, right? People from different backgrounds, families, 
ethnicities, nations, Jesus to do, to do a few things, to worship this king, to hear from this king, and to go to grow together on how we can represent him better in our world, right? That, that's what this is about. It's so important when we get together. So let's keep making these family gatherings important, making them a priority because we're children of God. They should be. Let's pray. Father, what a, what a joy it is to hear again what you do as we gather together. So often we take it for granted. We think, oh, we're just going to sing a few songs, hear, hear some preacher preach, and uh, we're going to walk up and leave, shake a few hands, and we're out the door. But there is, there is a unique spiritual dynamic that, only, that you do in the middle of this gathering. And we are so very grateful. And Father, I thank you that in our church, there is, a, there is a priority of meeting together. And I pray that we would grow more in our appreciation of this gathering's importance, oh, more in our understanding of its priority in our lives. And that we would see the connection that it makes to so many parts of how we want to grow in Christ and represent you in this world. And then, Father, I, I pray as we gather, I thank you that your spirit resides richly with us, that you teach us your word, that you exalt Christ among us. And as Martin Luther, the great reformer, said, that our spirits burst forth with joyous praise to our God. That is something that only you can do in us. And we thank you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This sermon has been proudly given in response to cherishing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Be sure to check out our YouTube channel and subscribe to watch all our sermons online. For more information about Covenant Life Fellowship, visit us on the web at www.clfroseburg.com.